Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. I know for... Some people, the subject of this week's podcast may sound like a joke, uh, but there are actually some potentially serious legal issues involved in an area that many people don't give that much thought to, and that is emojis. Yes, the little images that lots of people, and not just the kids these days, are using to help illustrate concepts, ideas, and emotions along with their text communications. Uh, Sure, everyone mocked the idea of emoji when Hollywood tried to make a big movie out of it, but there are some real legal issues to explore around emojis, which we'll do shortly with two excellent guests. Uh, But part of why this is interesting to me is how far back some of this goes in terms of... where things have happened on the internet or sort of what uh, things have happened in the past. Believe it or not, I first wrote about this topic in some form all the way back in January of 2001, so more than 17 years ago, though it was about a legal issue around an emoticon uh, rather than an emoji. For those who are not fluent in this stuff, emoticons are the use of text uh, to sort of form a kind of picture, such as a semicolon and uh, close parentheses to do a winky smiley face as opposed to emoji, which are the actual images. And of course, the two ideas overlap and many programs these days will automatically convert emoticons into emoji. But back in January of 2001, a company named Despair Inc., uh, who to this day still makes amazing satirical motivational posters and whose calendar I used to buy every year and hang in my office, uh, announced that it had trademarked the frowny emoticon and announced that it was going to sue everyone on the internet who used it. Now, Despair was, I thought, somewhat obviously joking, but only part of the way. It actually had trademarked the frowny emoticon, and it's still a part of the company's logo today, Uh, but it was certainly joking about suing everyone. Uh, While we uh, thankfully got the joke at TechDirt, and I believe my post included a bunch of frowny emoticons followed by come and get me, you bastards. Uh, Many others uh, didn't get the joke, and there were all sorts of angry responses. Uh, And eventually the New York Times, uh, yes, actually the New York Times had to come out with an article revealing that it was all uh, a joke. Well, except for the trademark part, because that part was real. In the intervening years, uh, emoji seemed to have shown up everywhere. Uh, a bunch of other podcasts have looked into the whole process by which emoji get created and approved, uh, with perhaps my favorite being uh, one that was done not too long ago by the show 99% Invisible, in which someone there literally went through the entire process of getting Unicode to approve a new emoji. It's actually pretty interesting uh, and Uh, odd process to to understand how it all works. But with any new form of communication and expression, sometimes there are big legal questions raised. Um, There's a new paper uh, exploring exactly that issue written by law professor Eric Goldman from Santa Clara 
University, uh, who's been on our podcast before. Uh, and he also worked with Gabriella Ziccarelli, uh, who is an in-house uh, digital and tech transfers counsel. Uh, the paper explores a few different issues concerning the law and emoji, focusing mainly on the confusion generated by different implementations of emoji and how that could create legal issues as well. Uh, my favorite example of this, by the way, is that while almost everyone has the gun emoji look like a real handgun, Apple decided to make it into a water gun, uh, leading to the potential that an iPhone user might send a message to someone that appears to be playful, maybe shooting someone with a water gun, uh, that an Android recipient might interpret as, an, as a threat to, to be shot. And I'm sure that a judge will have a field day sorting this one out one of these days. Uh, and of course, to make it even more fun, uh, there are a number of copyright and trademark questions around the emoji as well, some of which may be contributing to the different kinds of emoji and then the resulting confusion. So on the podcast today, we have both Eric and Gabriella to talk about this. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having so, us. Uh, let's start with the, the most obvious question, which is uh, what made you guys interested in exploring this issue in a, in a paper? Uh, let me start. Um, I actually uh, read a lot of internet law cases. I have various alerts set up and databases to uh, flag um, topics of different interests. And uh, one time I was reading a case on a different topic and it referenced uh, an emoticon um, as part of the legal issue. And I hadn't recalled seeing cases talking about that. Never really looked, but it got me curious. Um, so I went back, did some research, saw that there were actually a number of cases where emoticons had come up. Um, and then, of course, I naturally jumped over to cover emojis as well, saw that emojis were also coming up in court. And so I just started to take a look at the phenomenon, how were courts encountering emoticons and emojis and uh, what kinds of legal issues were they going to raise? As for me, I actually have a background in uh, nonverbal communication. When I was in college, that was my focus. And when you think about emoji, uh, you do tend to think about that's the nonverbal iteration almost of our online world. And when I started my career as a lawyer, I actually was a litigator. And we had a couple issues come up where, you know, some selective uh, emoticons had been used in certain emails. And it became a conversation with my colleagues of, you know, how would we search for these if emoji were coming up in evidence? <laughs> um, and it led to my first piece that I pr uh, published with Inside Counsel, kind of walking through what would be best practices if your company uses Slack and there's a lot of emoji usage, um, how to make sense of it and how to build a, an actual case if you're going to litigate where emoji are evidence. <laughs> That's really interesting because, I mean, it's true. You know, one of the interesting things that, that a lot of people have pointed out in discussing emoji in general is that, um, I, I mean, one of, if you take a step back, one of the problems with text is it's, it is difficult to, um, you know, to, to put tone or emotion into text. You just have sort of the literal text. And sometimes that actually doesn't really fully explain what it is that you're trying to say. And so a lot of people have pointed out that the use of emoji is actually a way of, of adding emotion, you know, sort of the most obvious one being, you know, a smiley face or a winky face to suggest that, that, you know, what someone said is a joke. Um, but then emoji have sort of introduced this, you know, huge wide range of uh, additional, like, um, 
you know, uh, emotions into, into a conversation, which then, you know, leads to, to a lot of the questions that you guys explore, which is, you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you deal with that? Or how do you even interpret that, um, in, in a way that's useful? So what, in terms of, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, these things coming up in, in different cases, what, what is, uh, what is sort of the state of, of the law on these right now? Uh, perhaps disappointingly, uh, we actually haven't encountered uh, too many cases where uh, courts have uh, done the actual jurisprudential review of the implications of emoticons or emojis. We have a couple of cases where it's come up, but uh, we're still waiting for a really good grokking of this issue. Um, <laughs> With uh, you know the lawyers beating up by each other, uh, the linguists being called in as experts, and uh, the question being put to a jury or to the judge as a fact finder, um, so uh, so the a lot of the questions about how courts are going to resolve um, the uh, interpretation of emojis or emoticons just haven't really been answered yet. Um, but there's no question that it's coming uh, because the pace of um, references to emojis in particular is going up quite rapidly, effectively exponentially. Um, and so, you know, just a lot of large numbers means we're going to see more of uh, the cases uh, coming up. One thing I want to clarify, and you, you hinted at this, that emojis can be used to uh, add back in um, uh, emotion to text that might not otherwise properly communicate it. Um, in some sense, it can act as a substitute for uh, vocal inflection or body language or uh, hand gestures or other things that we do that uh, supplement the actual words that we say. Um, but emojis serve a, a number of different functions in a uh, message. Sometimes in the same message, the same exact emoji symbol might be used for different purposes. Sometimes they're used as word substitutes. You literally take out a word to replace it with an emoji symbol to replace it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they act as word complements. They actually take whatever text is there and they, they add some extra meaning to it. And in other cases, they might act as what's called discourse management. They're a way of uh, sending the signals about how the conversation is flowing that we do communicate through vocal um, inflection or uh, body language or hand gestures uh, that um, uh, that uh, basically help us uh, uh, know how to talk to each other. So um, emojis serve a wide range of functions. I think that's probably, for me, the thing I'm going to be watching most closely is how clearly courts can understand that they might be serving these different functions and might be doing the same fun uh, different functions in the same message using the same symbols. I mean, do you have any faith at all that, that judges would recognize that? Uh, on their own, I think they would struggle perhaps to identify that. But I think that with uh, good litigators involved who explain uh -huh. uh, the different options or if there's experts, uh, linguistic experts coming in to, to talk about the case, um, they'll certainly explain that very clearly. Um, and part of the job of the paper, I think, was to help for any judge or clerk who happens to stumble across it uh, to get that point and to realize that uh, emojis are not just this monolithic uh, uh, communication tool, but they serve a variety of different purposes. And just asking that question alone is 90% of the battle. Right. And I think, you know, one of the one of the points that's interesting in the in the paper that that I think a lot of people might not even get, and I sort of brought it up a little bit in the intro, is this idea that um, 
you know, that the different platforms or different software have implemented the emojis very differently. There's sort of, you know, assuming that we're, we're talking about the, the ones that are approved by Unicode that are technically standardized, um, but the implementations can be entirely different and can give very mixed messages depending or confusing messages depending on which platform you're on. And I could see where that would just lead to such a level of confusion that could really create problems within a, in a legal setting. Absolutely. And I think that's to Eric's point why when we hopefully see a case go to a full trial, it's going to be fascinating to see how litigators build this case because a lot of emoji take on secondary you know, meaning amongst friends, amongst different racial groups, amongst certain genders. And I mean, even in terms of context, I, to this day, I'm still learning about how different emojis are used in the flirting context versus the business context versus different cultural differences. So you add that on top of the differences between I'm an, you know, an Apple user, I go ahead and I send a text to a Samsung user. What was the perception that the receiver had? What was the perception that the sender had? And you're going to have to have some outstanding attorneys that are really focusing on building proper <laughs> discovery. Um, because I do believe there might be a situation whereby people can hide behind some of the texts that they've sent or some of the messages right. and emojis they've sent. Um, one of the classic examples I give is if you are on an Apple iOS and you type in the word slap, and you type in the word hi, you get the same emoji recommended to you. And if we're in a domestic abuse case, uh, you better believe mm. that if someone wants to, they could come up with some sort of alibi, an emoji alibi. And I do think that if people do have nefarious, <laughs> nefarious intent, um, we're going to be in a, a totally different litigation world. Hey, oh Mike, Mike yeah. can you go back to your uh, point also about this issue of uh, the emojis across different platforms. Because to me, this is, I think, a really fascinating internet law dilemma. Mm -hmm. We think about the idea that emojis are standardized by the development of um, the, or the process that Unicode uses. And Unicode adopts a standard that enables uh, an emoji to have a symbol that should be universally recognized by all the platforms that uh, honor Unicode's um, uh, uh, standards. Um, but in fact, the emojis are not standardized, even once they've been adopted by Unicode. And to me, that's the most baffling and counterintuitive thing. Well, what does it mean when Unicode adopts a standard for an emoji, and yet there's no standardization? Um, and in particular, uh, there's been some discussion in the emoji community about 2018 as the year of convergence, that hmm. more platforms are trying to make their symbols look more like the other platforms. Um, and so there's supposed to be this this push towards uh, eliminating some of the wild differences. In the case of the gun emoji, for example, you may have seen, actually, many of the other platforms are flipping to adopt emoji, uh, I'm sorry, Apple's uh, 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 water pistol emoji depiction. Hmm. So actually, there will be standardization on the water gun as the pistol um, uh, as more platforms flip in that direction. But even when they all have agreed upon the depiction, they all decide that we're not going to depict a realistic pistol, but we are going to depict a water gun. Every single platform still seems to do things a little bit differently. For example, in my talk at Emojicon, I gave the example of the burrito emoji. 
where some of the burritos have foil wrapping around them and some of them don't. And some of the burritos are facing uh, uh, one direction and then the, uh, some of the other depictions are facing 90 degree opposite and one of them's facing 180 degree opposite. <laughs> and I don't understand how we still have these minor but completely unhelpful differences between emojis across different platforms. Interesting. And, and I mean, is it, do we have any sense of why that is? So the paper argues that uh, intellectual property is part of the story here, uh, that uh, part of the reason why we might be seeing differences across platforms, even these minor differences, um, is so that they the other platforms aren't stepping on each other's toes when it comes to copyright or trademark concerns. Uh, copyright and trademark both protect substantially similar depictions of the protected property. So as long as there are some differences, arguably the alternatives are not substantially similar, and therefore they're actually going to escape any uh, IP infringement of one of the other platforms. Or stated differently, if a platform wanted to be able to assert uh, IP protection, they need to have it different enough from all the other precedents so that they can uh, actually have a footprint that's protectable on their own. Um, so uh, that's a hypothesis. That's all I've really got. Um, I do think that a lot of the emoji designers do take pride in developing their own house standards that they right. think uh, creates their own look and feel uh, for their environment. Um, and I think uh, that that drives some of the differences as well. But I still cannot reconcile why burritos are facing different directions. <laughs> to me, that's not a house style. That's just stupid. Um, and, uh, and so then I really start to wonder about alternative explanations so in terms of the the intellectual property uh, argument uh, uh, is anyone registering these as, as either copyright or under copyright or trademark uh, the short answer is yes um, and uh, more than you think um, hmm. so for example if you do just a search for the word emoji in the copyright database I think the last time I did it, I got something on the order of 1600 hits wow. now that might not be all emoji depictions being registered, but mm -hmm. many of them are, and the prime mover in that uh, in that uh, you know th uh, hundreds of hits was Apple. They have registered many of their emoji depictions as individual copyrights. Each and every emoji symbol um, is potentially copyrighted by Apple. Um, in addition to other people have registered other stuff. Uh, in terms of trademarks, a little bit harder to, to do the searches, but in fact, we think that there are likely hundreds, uh, or not thousands, of things that we would call emoji depictions. They might be smileys or winkies, like you gave right. the example um, in the intro. Um, but they might not be emojis in the sense of how we think about an emojis, but they might look like emojis, or they might have the same kind of depiction, of which there are likely hundreds or thousands of trademarks as well. And so just to build on top of that, I mean, to Eric's point, you figure, you take a look around. Anytime you're traveling, you walk by, you know, one of those fun stores that's selling little knickknacks you can bring back to friends and family. There's a lot of emoji merchandise. So, mm. you know, there is a value in having a unique design to the extent you can license it. And I'll yield to Eric. I'm not sure if we have any cases of um, seeing any actual licensing or the value on an emoji. But, I mean, I can admit I have emoji merchandise that I wear and love. Uh, you know, so I do think that there's a market there, especially if the look is unique enough uh, that folks do want to go ahead and purchase items with the emoji on it. 
Yeah, I'll give an example, actually. Uh, it was pretty wild, but I went to the King Tut uh, exhibit that was now at the uh, Los Angeles um, uh, the Los Angeles Museum. And in their gift shop, they had King Tut emoji squ- uh, plush uh, toys. And <laughs> I thought, you know, uh, that's like truly blending the old and the new, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, a guy from 2,600 years ago, and he's emojified. Um so actually, it's more than 2,600 years. My apologies. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, truly uh, the old plus new. One of the things I would also point out to Gabby's point about uh, the merchandising is that most of the merchandise is also um, just slightly different than any other depiction you'll find anywhere else. So everyone's doing their own variation of smileys and winkies. Um, and and I'm, I'm pretty sure at that point, when you're talking about uh, an, uh, a smiley squeeze toy, um, the differences in emoji depiction is almost certainly because whoever's making that is worried that they're going to get sued by some precedent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder too, I, I was sort of reminded as, as you guys were talking through this, um, it's not quite the same thing, but I do wonder if it, it would play into this is, um, you know, New York holds the trademark on the I heart New York, um, setup, which, you know, that's a little bit more, but it has the sort of heart in there. And I wonder if that, uh, and, and they've been they've sort of aggressively gone after people for for using I heart anything, um, which kind of feels like an example of, of you know, early emoji law, <laughs> um, though, I, I, I don't know if it's exactly the same. I actually have to look at that. I haven't looked at the I heart New York in a while. I wonder if it has the similar shading to the heart emoji. Yeah, I think it's it, it's just a straight up, you know, uh, single color um red you know and, and i don't know if the trademark itself is, specifies the the color or or not you know they've been sort of specific in going after i heart anything so it's sort of the combination of the heart and the eye um but that doesn't seem that far off from from you know an emoji related <laughs> uh, question yeah, in general, uh, emojis can protect all kinds of visual depictions, even pretty simple ones. Um, so uh, I don't know if just a red heart and nothing else could be protected nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly eye, heart, and then something more, that's 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 closer to being the kind of thing that trademark law is pretty commonly protecting. That's why I think there are likely... Uh, thousands of trademark registrations that we would say are emojis or emoji-like because it's actually pretty standard fare for uh, uh, trademarks to register logos that might look like things like emojis. Right. Um, I guess that's true. I mean, there'd be lots of, of trademarks in that in that general realm. Um, now, some of the, some of this too is like you know if you talk about like Apple registering the copyright specifically on on a bunch of these emoji. I mean the whole point of emoji are for people to sort of post them and, and share them. Um, and you know there's 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 a part of me that my brain is just sort of like screaming like you know it would be like you know copywriting a letter like that you know and and we don't allow for copyright on like specific like font choices right. Because this feels kind of like that. Um, the copyright in fonts is a pretty complicated question. And <laughs> my guess is your listeners are screaming at you right now saying, 
oh, that's not quite right, Mike. Um, All right. Well, so, you're the but, law professor. I'm not. <laughs> but, but the analogy is actually uh, apropos because Unicode thinks about emojis as just another font. And they right. they think we create the the letter A and we create the, the outline for a smiley face and we give each of those symbols a number. But then people can depict those in an infinite number of ways based on the actual fonts that they use. Um, and so for them, actually, this analogy to fonts is quite apropos. Um, but for me, I actually uh, I, I would just I, I try and get past that as quickly as possible. <laughs> just think about them not as as especially when we're talking about individual emojis as opposed to emoji sets that might be protectable under a different rubric. Think about an individual emoji. I just think of that as a small graphical image and uh, you know, how far can copyright and trademark law go to protect small graphical images? Uh, the letter A is also a small graphical image. It just has a particular meaning in our language. But I would argue so do emojis. And that's why I think that um, the analogy to individual letters in a alphabet is very helpful about thinking about why we should be concerned about providing too much protection uh, for the intellectual property rights in emojis symbols yeah um yeah no it 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 seems like a a potentially problematic i mean i can understand conceptually the idea that like you know say well i don't really understand it (laughs) now that i think about the idea of like you know apple protecting it so that you know say like samsung doesn't come you know come up and and use the exact same emoji just you know take it set and replace it but but then there's part of me that's like well what is that really a problem if if they did well i mean take a look at the new ios there is a big campaign a marketing campaign with apple ios about having these emoji that talk right i mean and and presumably uh. they are the proprietary emoji that have been created by the apple designers so you know the question becomes why not protect the ip so then we can go ahead and build out a product or an offering that makes us unique uh and fun and that's what i'm seeing at least from the apple side of things uh where i could see where the ip part might be exceptionally important to them vis-a-vis one of their competitors I think Gabriella brings up a, a good point, but when I think about this as an internet law problem, the things that start screaming at me are things like, why aren't there cross licenses between the different platforms that allow them to yeah. uh, uh, to allow each other to depict the emojis that they're uh, using? Um, or why isn't there a, quote, open source standard that is a a bulwark against the big giants that decide that they want to go and branch off and do their own thing. But then there's also a big giant uh, open source option that uh, all the other smaller platforms piggyback on. Uh, There have been some efforts to try and develop some open source uh, emoji symbols, um, but I don't think that those are being invested in and maintained. And so pretty much everyone's still kind of on their own. And I, I can't quite figure out why the market hasn't consolidated or resolved that issue. Yeah, that's strange. You would think, especially by now, that there would be just like a, an open source uh, emoji set, um, you know, of like, you know, all the, the Unicode approved emoji that, that anyone could just use. You would think that there would be enough incentive for someone to put that together rather than having every single platform reinvent the wheel. I, I mean, I recognize like it may be fun to sort of create your own emoji, but I imagine for especially lots of smaller platforms that 
shouldn't be like a, a major focus. I mean, I mean, it, it gets to another point, which which you hinted at a little bit earlier, Eric, and I, and Gabriella, you just sort of brought it up too. Um, you know, I do wonder how much these different platforms look on the emoji as sort of brand building for themselves. So they, you know, they put a little bit of their own character into into the emoji, and they sort of help hope that it then leads to, you know people better identifying with their brand or, or, you know, liking their brand a little bit more. And, and I mean, that's, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think back and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think on Google's platform on Android, there were similarities between the emoji you could use on Gmail as well as when you were texting. So if you start to become familiar with the original, the blobs that they used to have for the smileys, there's a, a sense of familiarity and association. And, you know, I'm an Android user. I use Google products versus I'm on the iOS side of things and I do this. So I do think right. part of it is almost um, a sense of community that you're building through these, you know, non-verbal forms of communication. I mean, I even think some of the early Android emojis sort of used the, the little Android alien robot guy as, as sort of part of the, the character. Like I think some of the, I think this may, you may have even touched on this in the paper. Some of the early uh, Android ones had sort of, you know, looked like the, the Android logo. I forget what it, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> um, but that could be an example of that kind of you know, attempt to sort of build a brand around the emoji, um, which then, of course, raises all sorts of other issues. We've, um, certainly, we've certainly seen that Apple has tried to differentiate itself on emojis, not only in the pride that they take in coming up with the individual depictions of emoji symbols, which I think most people regard as often the most elegant and most uh, well-executed, um, but then in things like the Animojis and trying to uh, proliferate different ways of integrating emojis into the communication uh, on their network, that is a, a point of differentiation for them. And so it seems like we could imagine uh, the product manager in this area saying, this is a place we're going to actually win new business um, hmm. because we're doing something different with emojis and everyone loves emojis and this will be a way for them to get something they can't get from our rivals. Um, I still wonder about, as we're seeing this overall convergence, um, so that the depictions or uh, differences are so minor, I, I feel like I'm missing something at that point. If those are really the point, then as the emojis start to look more like with just minor differences, it seems like that's not really a great brand differentiator. Yeah. I mean, it could just be, you know, different people within the, you know, within the companies are, are viewing it as, you know, for different reasons. Uh, and therefore you sort of have conflicting approaches. Um, I want to go back a little bit to the, to the issue of sort of the confusion around the different emojis. I mean, we talked about the, the, the gun slash, you know, water gun, example, but there are also examples of sort of like even the more common emojis, you know, the, some of the facial expression ones where different companies have presented them in different ways that has led to confusion. I mean, you know, I know that, that there's been like a lot of confusion about like the, you know, um, like crying, laughing. Is it, is it sad? Is it, you know, crying, laughing, happy is, it, you know, uh, and, and some of the other, you know, sort of more commonly used emojis where, uh, especially based on the way the different platforms present them. I think there's like some of the smiley emojis where some people have interpreted some of them to be somebody stressed out or something like that. Um, and and that seems to be like a big deal and one that it would certainly help to have convergence on things like that to at least try and get towards something a little bit more clear. Um, and and is, is that happening? 
yeah, I think we are seeing uh, some of those roughest edges uh, cleaned up. It's a really interesting study that was done uh, by a research group led by a woman named Hannah Miller uh, that took a look at the depiction of the grinning face with smiling eyes. Uh, so it's got the peaked eyes and, the, uh, in theory, the teeth. Um, and in, when they studied it, uh, Google's implementation was rated by their survey participants as meaning blissfully happy. And Apple's implementation was rated as meaning ready to fight. So <laughs> this is pretty similar to your uh, earlier examples, or some of the earlier examples you discussed, where you know absolutely someone on one system might have been trying to send something happy, and the other person is thinking it's it's a threat. Right. Um, but uh, if you look at how that particular emoji, the grinning face with smiling eyes, has evolved, at this point now, I think it's very unlikely that we would have such radically different assessments of what it means. We might still have nuanced differences, but I don't think we're likely to have something as polar opposite as happy versus fight. Um, and so I think there's been progress made. But again, I come back to my question about why aren't these, why aren't there more efforts in the industry to try and come up with making sure that this problem is solved either by more aggressively standardizing the depictions or by doing some kind of cross-licensing arrangements to make sure that um, that the platforms themselves aren't introducing the confusion. Do, do we know if they're communicating or is it just, you know, once the design comes out, then they, then they debate it? Uh, I don't know exactly which conversations are taking place. Obviously, the the Unicode process for approval includes many of the major platforms um, uh, being represented. So they're already talking there about the emojis and about the possible ways in which they think they're going to implement it. So my guess is some of the communication is already taking place just uh, when the emoji is uh, being approved through the Unicode process. Um, but there are other places where emojis designers are talking to each other i i don't happen to hang out in those circles <laughs> i mean is it oh what gabriella go ahead and i was going to say so your point about the confusion i i mean if you take a look right at the unicode and you look at the names of some of these emoji it i mean at least for me and some of my friends it's been shocking we're like oh that's what that actually means i think that's the closest we can come to understanding what perhaps some of them mean but to your point about confusion uh, on different platforms something that we haven't really discussed in detail, we've talked about, you know, different phone providers, different operating systems. But when we're talking about social media, um, there was a recent issue, actress Jessica Chastain had tweeted using the emoji provided via Twitter, um, this comment about a David Matthews band song, and used the shocked emoji, which came up um, via Twitter. And apparently when someone pulled that up on their Twitter account on an Apple phone, um, it was the drooling face emoji, which has some negative and sometimes sexual connotations. Um, and she was very embarrassed. And so I do think not only are there issues with the conversion from phone to phone, but it's also social to phone and social to social. Right. Yeah, there's so many different different ways in which that could, you know, sort of cross-platform of all different kinds could, could make it more confusing. And... I mean, does does Unicode seem to care? Like, it feels like they could also step in and sort of have a role and sort of, you know, it appears that, you know, for, for all of the the idea behind standardization being about standardization, if, if they're leading to more confusion and all these differences, shouldn't they do more? Uh, I certainly think they should. Um, and I think in the paper, I list out some suggestions about ways they could do that. 
but uh, as far as I can tell, Unicode just has no interest in this topic. Um, <laughs> they just view that it's not their job. Um, they, uh, the, the committee that approves emojis is a bunch of technologists, uh, and they're not interested in the design question or the legal question. Uh, they're simply interested in the, the uh, uh, you know, effort to put a number associated with a particular symbol. Of course, recognize that Unicode, uh, Unicode's primary business is uh, dealing with uh, characters and alphabets. Um, so for them, emojis are kind of like a sideline business in the first instance. Um, and it gets oversized attention from that standpoint. But they still think about things in terms of how do we get this particular character that's unique to a language that has 100,000 users, how do we get that so that it's a unique number associated with that and everyone can use that in their uh, communications? That's their, their stock and trade. So this idea about um, worrying about, uh, you know, uh, Apple's graphic designers coming up with different interpretation than Android's uh, graphic designers. For them, that's just not in their uh, purview. Um, and they really do think about it as that's just implementing different fonts. And, you know, there's an infinite number of fonts that people can put these characters in. We don't care as long as the character has a definition. So I really think that Unicode uh, should be paying attention to this. And uh, every chance I get to talk to the people at Unicode who are involved in the Unicode process, I remind them about how important it is that they uh, recognize the standardization. But that's just nowhere close to where their head's at. Eric, what do you think in terms of Unicode and social responsibility. I know a lot of what we've seen lately has been an adjustment uh, and additions of emoji to be more representative. Uh, emoji, obviously, even the adjustment from the pistol to the water gun, um, perhaps being indicative of a change of times. And then, of course, I know uh, here in New York, we have some folks that are lobbying to get birth control emoji added. Um, so I'm just curious if you think, you know, Unicode has a responsibility there or if that seems to be on their priority list in terms of deciding which new emoji to add. Yeah, I think Unicode's gotten the message that the world is watching what they're doing and uh, that uh, given the historical composition of the emoji subcommittee of Unicode, which was generally male, generally uh, on the older side, uh, and generally a technologist, um, they've realized that they need the infusion of new perspectives. So um, I feel like they are aware of the problem and that they've taken steps to address it. I think that Unicode's emoji approval process by its design really inhibits the ability of full participation um, from the wider range of constituents. And so, so long as they keep using the existing approval process, I don't know that anyone's really going to love uh, how inclusive it feels or how inclusive the results feel. Um, but that's a much harder issue to fix. Um, the, the process issue is harder to fix. And so um, I, feel like, I feel like they are aware of it and are trying to address it. And I give them credit for that. Um, but I don't think they're going to ever make anyone super thrilled. So I, I mentioned in the, in the opening that 99% Invisible did a whole uh, episode on the, the approval process. But Eric, for, for people who haven't heard that, do you want to give just sort of a really quick summary of, of the process for approving emoji? Well, there's a group uh, in Unicode called the Emoji Subcommittee um, that uh, is the gatekeeper for the approval of new emoji symbols that are adopted by Unicode. If it's adopted by Unicode, all they'll do is assign a uh, representative glyph, a depiction of uh, the uh, symbol in black and white in outline format, 
um, they'll give it a uh, short name and they'll give it a unique number in the Unicode taxonomy. Um, so that everything that happens after that is it's going to be beyond their purview. So it's just as far as getting to that point where it's adopted in. Um, and the Unicode uh, subcommittee is composed of uh, voting members, which requires, uh, if I remember the number, it's something like 18,000 bucks uh, to sit at the table. Um, and then non-voting members uh, who are willing to actually show up and be a part of it. Um, and there are 12 voting members, um, uh, most of which are technology companies, and then there's a few other interested stakeholders who ponying up the cash. Um, and in order to get emoji depicted uh, or adopted, they they have now encouraged a submission process where you fill out an application and you explain how the emoji uh, would fill needs and how it might uh, solve uh, the communications problems and why there's such interest in this and will it be adopted and will it end up um, uh, uh, being um, uh, something that uh, 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 that is uh, long-lasting, that it won't just be a flash-in-the-plan fad. Um, because emoji uh, adoptions by Unicode are effectively meant to be permanent. Once the number is assigned, they're never going to uh, deprecate that number. Um, and there's certain rules that they have. They won't allow depictions of people. Um, they won't allow depictions of religious deities um, and a couple other rules that they have. And so they go through this process and then they vet all the different submissions. Um, and usually then there's some advocates who are pushing to try and get the, uh, the gravitas behind a particular submission. And then it goes to a vote. And they are trying to keep the number down because it's actually quite costly for the platforms to adopt new emojis. So, you know, I think this year they did something on the order of 70 new emojis. And so there might be much, many more submissions of that, but they're going to try and winnow it down. So the process involves a lot of uh, upfront legwork by someone to propose it. It requires a lot of explanation. It has to meet a wide range of criteria, and then it might be in competition with other similar emojis uh, proposals, all vetted by this uh, non-representative group. Hmm. Yeah, which obviously can can raise a bunch of problems, and I, and and there have been different reports on beyond you know that that one podcast that I mentioned. There have been other reports on sort of the process and and how sometimes it feels unfair or seems to you know underrepresent certain viewpoints and and things like that, um, which just you know creates a whole other rabbit hole to, to, to go down. And as I uh, said, I don't think that's going to improve unless a different process is adopted. And right. that then requires someone who's paying money at Unicode to agitate among the other paying members to say, this process isn't working, let's come up with a new one. And uh, so I just think we have to work with the process we've got for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and and it should be noted too, right? I mean, so most of the stuff involving Unicode and, and a lot of the the points that we've been making and talking about all this, you know, really comes down to sort of you know cross platform communications. You know, within a single platform, um, you know, you don't necessarily have those problems. And you you know, Gabriella mentioned Slack, you know, earlier in the in the podcast, and and one of the things with Slack is they let you add whatever emoji you want. I mean, within your own community, it comes with a huge set, but then you could add your own. And that's fine, because it's, well, fine within, you know, uh, in terms of the, the depictions, because it's just, you know, whoever designates that within that particular community, that just becomes, a, you know, a, uh, you know, a, I forget what they call it, like a reaction uh, emoji within that, that set. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I say that with disdain because now that I'm, I'm more so understanding how Slack is working, this is going to be a fascinating place to watch. Uh -huh. The 
upload feature for Slack emoji does indicate who did upload it. So if you want to talk about, back to the litigation point, someone wanting oh, to goodness. find out uh, who had made the determination to upload, say, a photograph of one of their coworkers, which this does right. happen. Um, there have been reports of this. Did that person, you know, say that it was okay and authorized for their picture to be utilized as a reaction? Uh, what does it mean when people put up a picture of Eric or a picture of Gabriella <laughs> uh, to a certain awful comment? It opens up quite the can of worms. And one of the recommendations that outside counsel we used to make was, you know, it might be worth considering which emoji, if any, you really need in the workplace. And right. Some may not have a place in a productive work environment, in a safe work environment. And something I'm curious to see as we evolve and we use emoji more, especially in our work platforms, is when, you know, you have to go through mandatory sexual harassment training, um, those kinds of of trainings, will we be discussing emoji usage? And I right. know, um, actually, I believe Eric had recently posted their, you know, our internal documents at some tech companies about what constitutes hate speech. And so will there be internal documents at companies about what constitutes sexual harassment speech? Well, you know, I mean, it, we're getting to that right. point where, or maybe you're not going to allow people to create custom emoji because from a company perspective, it's a terrifying thought. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's definitely the lawyer perspective. <laughs> because, I mean, which is, no, it's, I mean, it's good. But, you know, because you think about it, at first you're like, oh, you know, it's, there are potential benefits. Like, of course, you have sort of both sides of this, right? I mean, a lot of people see it as, as both fun and, and in some cases useful. I mean, the fact that you can add custom ones that, that could be um, could express ideas that are important within within uh, an organization, but Absolutely. I could also see all of the points that you raised as well as being potential liabilities. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, this is one of the things where uh, a great another internet law uh, example of how uh, the technologists and the legal uh, folks might be out of sync with each other. From Unicode standpoint, they actually prefer emoji symbols that might be capable of multiple meanings. That means it's going to be used uh, more commonly, and it will actually solve more communication gaps. Um, so for them, if a symbol would have only one likely possible meaning, that would be a reason not to approve it. Whereas if it has multiple possible meanings, that would be a reason to uh, prioritize is, is, it. Is there a reason for that? Well, as I said, I think really just the idea that they uh, want the emojis to be used and they want them to be permanent. Um, so the more meanings there are, the more possible ways people might be using them, the more that they'll actually uh, be helpful. But the lawyers hate that idea <laughs> because the more that emojis by their design have um, multiple meanings, the more likely that they're going to create ambiguities or misunderstandings. Right. The, the seeds of those legal problems are, are baked into the entire approval process for Unicode. So, you know, I, un I totally understand Unicode's perspective on this. If the lawyers were running it, we would have a very different set of approval criteria. Yeah. I mean, what strikes me about all of this, and and I'll sort of say this to to sort of get into the wrap up part of, part of this podcast, uh, is you know, you know, one of the benefits that people pointed out about emoji, and we discussed a little bit earlier, is is this idea that it adds in to you know um, conversation or expression some of the elements that are missing from purely text speech whether it's you know body language or tone or emotion or whatever and and that you know conceptually is something that would be really useful because of the fact that you know plain text 
often lacks that or it's it's very difficult um, to convey and, and often it can be conveyed incorrectly. And so adding in these things seems like something that should improve on that. And yet everything that we've said in sort of the last 45 minutes <laughs> indicates that we've only sort of uh, added in a new dimension on which to be even more confused. <laughs> and, and, you know, and from a legal perspective, right, I mean, the number of you guys are the actual lawyers, but like, you know, in terms of just covering this stuff, the number of legal cases that we've written about that focus solely on, you know, interpretation of text or a contract or what did someone mean when they said this or that, um, to add in this new layer of of even more ambiguity, um, which, you know, can be even more confused based on which platform people are using or sort of the cross-platform stuff, um, just seems like, you guys are scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to your point about ambiguity, you now see companies also acknowledging the ambiguity exists and trying to prevent that from a brand perspective. So, you know, perhaps right. there is a co-marketing agreement where you're letting the company who's going to be doing the marketing for you know, hey, these are approved messages and they're including even emoji sets. So, you know, there is an awareness and I think savvy companies are trying to play into that, either build the brand accordingly or to prevent the brand from misleading customers or being called into something that they don't want to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, but to, Mike, to your point, um, you're absolutely right that emojis uh, create a new frontier for people to misunderstand each other and for that to create legal fights. Um, but as you know, the the number of disputes about communications are like a pyramid. You know, mm -hmm. there's lots of healthy communication, then there's some communication that uh, causes some consternation, and then there's some that leads to misunderstandings, and then some that lead to courts, and then some that lead to court resolutions. And it's like a pyramid. Um, I want to sure. emphasize how how much emojis can help with the base of that pyramid, the normal healthy communication, the the, the fun and uh, interactive ways in which we deal with each other. Um, there's so much richness that emojis can add to that. So uh, it is easy to focus on the tip of that pyramid about how they're going to end up in court or whatever, but I don't want to lose sight of the base of, um, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. it's fun to send emojis to my kids or send them to my wife. And <laughs> it, it, you know, it just, it makes the conversation a little more sparkly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I don't, I certainly don't mean to, uh, to, 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 uh, uh, say negative things about them or, or you know, be horrified by it. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not, cause I agree. I mean, I, I, I like the concept of them and I know some people just sort of think they're, they're completely silly, but I, I actually do find them to be a really interesting phenomenon. Um, but, just, like, Oh, I just wanted to say, in our technological footprint, think about how far we've come. We used to be limited to characters yeah. on our Nokia phones. And now we can send a message that's, what, one or two emoji and speak the contents of our heart, as corny as that sounds. I do think <laughs> that there is such a beauty, to, to Eric's point about being sparkly, where you really actually can communicate in ways we never could before. I think about, yeah. I have relatives abroad in Italy, and there are certain, I'm only so good with my Italian language, but we can communicate effectively with emoji in a way that is authentic, that is real, and it really connects you with people in a very global way. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely absolutely true. And hopefully you know, for whatever concerns there are about legal disputes over this, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, we haven't seen that many really. Um, and hopefully when they inevitably do arise that, that some of this stuff gets settled pretty quickly and we don't, don't have to face too much of it, but 
it's at least you've 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 got me at least worried that there are going to be a number of these fights coming up. Well, um, that's part of why the was worth a big battleship long length uh, law review paper because yeah. <laughs> there is a lot to say and a lot of edge cases or use cases that are going to lead to uh, fun, interesting, complicated legal issues. So, um, you know, for I think all the listeners, that's uh, you know part of what keeps uh, all of us employed is uh, the fact that uh, <laughs> we get some new stuff to play with. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks, uh, Gabriella and Eric, uh, for taking the time uh, for for writing on this stuff and thinking about this stuff, uh, and then for taking the time to join us on the podcast. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. Bye. Bye.